presents Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Friday, 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 Friday. Yeah! Adam Candy is here. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Here for me is Northern Nevada. We got UNLV against Reno coming up at 7 o'clock, 6.30 with the Learfield pregame. Let's do it. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four. Number five. Well, that guy, Mike Edwards, really is a teacher. He played that right down the middle. I, I was expecting him to come in here and be like, yeah, 56-10. Reno, well, he wouldn't call it Reno, but I will. Uh, the pack defeat, the Rebels, very respectful, very respectful. Candy, what do you think of my point about players and talent evaluation? Because I really, I think this is part of the reason that the folks in Reno, on uh, at least on the football front, think or are annoyed by UNLV and people around UNLV. I really, it's funny, I was walking in the stadium, and they have a nice little stadium here. Sounds cocky, right? Um but I truly believe if UNLV can get players, right, and they've got some good players now, they need more good players, they need more depth, that with the facilities they have and the draw of Las Vegas, they should be able to have a winning program consistently like Reno has. Am I short-selling what they've done here with the PAC program? I think you're leaving one key element out of the whole thing, and that's Chris Alt. Um, there has been one stabilizing force for that program, whether he was the coach, whether he was the athletic director, whether he was the coach again, uh, for the Wolfpack during that time. And you've had one steady hand guiding that school for a long time. And I think there's something to be said for having a philosophy and having that stability, especially when you go out and you're recruiting. And so UNLV has not had the benefit of that over time. Uh, Can that change? Yeah, of course it can change. Uh, the pieces are in place in terms of having the stadium, having the facility, having the ability to say, hey, come play here and you can build something like they have up in Reno and come play in our great facilities. But at the same time, you're always starting from that point with UNLV. So that's why it's different than what's going on in Reno. And the consistency of admin, you know, what's above you all the way up to the president with a program is also gigantic. And there's been so much turnover with UNLV of late. But I brought up the three guys, you know, specifically, like, evaluating talent. Carson Strong was not really freaking offered by any other schools. And look what he is now. Dubs, was an, he's an L.A. kid. By the way, Strong's a California kid. Dubs is an L.A. kid. And somehow, like, in the shadow of the Pac-12, he lands at Reno. And the kid had 19 catches for 203 last week. Last year he had, what, 7 for 165 at the Owl against UNLV. He's a future NFL player. And the one that annoys me the most is Jacob Gardner, their left tackle, you know, 6'4", 300 pounds, came in last year and played left tackle as a freshman. He's from Rancho Cucamonga. So it's, and then when you look at his offers, like, he wasn't recruited heavily. So, so much of this is about talent evaluation. And, and, and UNLV does have a lot of dudes in place who were not heavily recruited, have turned out to be good players. And they're going to need to be really good tonight, especially you – know, I point out the defensive line all the time. They're, they have some undersized guys. They, they have some Juco guys. And there's a lot more to get into. 
in this game. I know one of the things or a couple of the things that you wanted to mention is bottom line of competing in this game. Uh, the Rebels have to score because they're not going to shut down this Reno offense completely. If you look at just Mountain West games, and I want to do that for UNLV's sake so that we take out Arizona State and Iowa State. If you look at just Mountain West games, Pack scoring 36 a game. And you just mentioned what they have on offense, and that is not stoppable. And we saw it last year at Elysian Stadium where the Rebels were plucky. They hung around, but that Nevada offense is pretty much impossible to stop in the air. And so you look at UNLV on the other side and you say, what can you do? Well, what you can do is run the ball like you did last week. Uh, what you can do is have Charles Williams be the guy he's been for the last couple of weeks here and hope that you control the clock, you control the flow of the game, Wolfpack wants to get after the quarterback. Um, hopefully you can take advantage of that aggressiveness and be able to break off some runs and be able to keep the ball in your hands because it becomes like going against a Tom Brady, going against the Patrick Mahomes. You need to keep the ball for as long as you can. Um, this Nevada defense is not fantastic. They're 10th in the Mountain West during Mountain West play. Obviously UNLV is last, uh, but they can be had if UNLV can execute on offense the way it has for a couple of weeks. Number four. Boy, this one might be uh, right up your alley as a an official. Uh, what do you think about what's going on in the NBA with James Harden and maybe Trey Young to a certain extent where eh, the league has cut out a lot of the head fakes, the throwbacks, the lean in. Uh, a lot of these guys aren't getting the calls they were getting in years past, and you're seeing their production by numbers drop. As an official, that play where the shooter head fakes – Gets that defender in the air, and the defender is doing that, like, matrix slow, slow, slow fall toward the player. And you're watching it as an official. You're like, damn it, I'm going to have to call this. And you hate it. You hate it because it's not real basketball. I'm mean, Yeah, they, they good head fake. You got the defender in the air. But that's not really the way this is supposed to go. And the NBA is trying to eliminate those. The NBA is trying to eliminate some of the rip-throughs and some of the other plays that are just not natural offensive basketball. They're designed specifically just to draw a foul. It's not like you got fouled going in for a layup, going in for a dunk. You created a play to try to get fouled. And Trey Young had some pretty strong complaints about it, said that refs are missing calls, said that Damian Lillard is averaging less points than he has since he was a freshman in high school. We know what James Harden thinks about it. And you know what, Steve? That means it's working. That means that this is doing exactly what it was supposed to do which is to force the guys who were known as the ones using these rules to their advantage to find a different way to do it. And they're all talented enough to do it. You're talking about some of the best players in the NBA. Now it's just a matter of reinventing your game, and that's not going to be instant. They're going to need time to do it. Number three. We spoke earlier in the show about the line adjustment. Is Dak in or out? Cowboys go from a favorite to now a field goal dog against the Vikings. Cowboys are being cautious. There's a long season. You don't want to risk the long term for the short term with Dak Prescott. Are the Browns making a mistake by playing Mayfield this weekend, or is it just go for broke time with this guy and their season because he's got a torn labrum. You may as well just put him out there. What do you think? Uh, Steve, what does Baker Mayfield's contract look like for next year? <laughs> Who's he playing for next year? Exactly. Yeah. The Browns and Baker Mayfield probably have to get together on this thing and decide this is Baker Mayfield's future. Not the Browns' future. This is Baker Mayfield's future. And Baker Mayfield's out here playing for a contract now. 
and the Browns have a hard, hard decision to make. Are you happy with a Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins level quarterback? Is that what you want to tie your future to? Or do you have the stones to let him walk? Because Baker Mayfield now is damaged this year. You weren't sure about him going into the year, which is why you haven't signed him to a long-term contract. And now it's almost like when the Brewers had CeCe Sabathia going on three days rest after they traded for him near the trade deadline. It's like, he's not going to be here next year anyway, so let him just go out and do whatever he wants to do. right? So if you're the Browns, you're not looking at the long-term the same way. You built toward this year if you're the Cleveland Browns. And so you're going to do whatever you can to win this year. And if Baker Mayfield wants to go out there and play, and it's clear he does, then he should go out there and play. Number two. Golden Knights hockey coming up at 5 o'clock. The pregame's on right now on our sister station, 1340 and 98.9 FM. Uh, Interesting story in the athletic in terms of power rankings with your Vegas Golden Knights and also getting after one of the high-dollar guys on the roster. Now let's start with the caveat. It's early. We haven't played that many games yet. But the Golden Knights show up 15th this week, which is up from 25th last week in the Athletics Power Rankings. Uh, Dom LeCision, who has been on ESPN Las Vegas before talking about some of his analytical breakdowns of hockey, uh, is looking at the Golden Knights and saying, this team defensively is just absolutely abysmal. Let's quote you some stats. No team has allowed more chances per 60 minutes this season. Their 3.29 expected goals against per 60 is dead last in the league, and it's the same gap from them to the next team that it is between second and 14th worst teams. Uh, Alex Petrangelo's numbers have not been good either, and he kind of goes into Petrangelo a little bit and says, you know, we expected better out of the star defenseman is this contract an albatross. Well, <laughs> it's first of all, it's way too soon. Alex Petrangelo didn't look good in the regular season last year. He looked great in the playoffs. How are you going to judge what Alex Petrangelo looks like right now with no Alec Martinez, with no Mark Stone? Maybe include Pacioretty in there, but Mark Stone was a finalist for the Vezina Award as the best defensive forward in the league last year. Alec Martinez has been the most reliable defenseman for this team for the last two years. I don't know that I like looking at individual performance when you're trying to gauge an entire system of the Golden Knights that is basically just Pete DeBoer trying to play one of those Price is Right games where you just keep putting the pieces in different places and pulling the lever and hoping that's the right one. Number one. Be interesting to see what kind of crowd shows up if, if it's a full house, and especially uh, you know down in the lower bowl at the Fortress. We know the tickets are sold, but a lot of people haven't been showing up uh, in the first few home games. It is Nevada Day, so some people had off today. Uh, seems like people are kind of festive. I know up north here in Reno, there were a lot of people out, hanging out, you know, getting ready to go to their hometown game. Do we think it's the same thing in Vegas? And are we already starting to look? We we have on the radio station. We've already started to look at the attendance. I understand the uh, the paper looked at it as well and talked to Foley, right? Interview with Bill Foley from the Review Journal. And Steve, um, we're trendsetters. We told everybody. We said, hey. Go ahead and take a look at what's going on in the stands right now because people are not showing up to the games the same way. And so the Review Journal looked into this a little bit and said, look, if you go ahead and put what the sold tickets numbers look like for the Golden Knights, even though it's a little bit down, it's still overall is up in the top of the league. But we know better because we've been watching this. We know what that arena is like. We know it has to be the best home field advantage, home ice advantage 
in the league because that's what's been established for four years. And there are a lot of gray seats with no bodies in them. And so the RJ looked into a few reasons. They talked about COVID hesitancy. I get it. They talked about the general economic situation in Vegas. I get it. But here's the thing that really caught my eye, Steve. Um, Bill Foley was quoted as saying that for the lower bowl seats especially, quote, they're season ticket holders, especially in the lower bowl when you see empty seats. Those seats are all sold. Steve, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's not the answer. The, Mm -hmm. The answer is not that the franchise has the money in hand. The answer is that the people who are willing to spend the most to sit the closest to the ice, who have been your most loyal fans for four years, aren't showing up to the games. There was a uh, letter to the editor in the Review Journal this week. In case everybody out there thinks we're making up the whole Marc-Andre Fleury thing, uh, no. Letter to the editor in the Review Journal said that some fans just don't care as much anymore. They don't care. They feel like the franchise told them that the franchise doesn't care about them when they sent the most popular player away, and so maybe they're not willing to ride it out with a team that's not winning. Uh, Bill Foley seems to think the winning has something to do with it. Um, We don't really know. We've never seen it. This team has won consistently, and maybe with these two games they just won on the road, which let's give them proper credit for. You go win in Colorado and you come back the way you did against Dallas, against a team that was better than you that night, you deserve all the credit. So you know what, fans? If you haven't been showing up, if you've taken these first few games off and it's not about your COVID hesitance, it's about time to get back out there. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Theodore works towards the middle. Theodore passes left, a shot, score! Marcheseau, tie game with a minute to go. Jonathan Marcheseau, the one-time blast from the left wing circle, set up by Shea Theodore. Marcheseau rips it home inside the left post. Vegas has tied it two and two. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Well, it worked, Candy. It worked. You said the other day, maybe getting out of town was going to be a good thing for the Golden Knights. It worked. They won two games in a row. Um, to finish up for now on some of the empty seats at T-Mobile, because uh, the RJ followed our lead and asked Foley about it, I might be reading too much into this, but I just want you to hear Marcia So at the end of the Dallas game on the post game. Yeah, I wouldn't mean a lot. Uh, obviously, we have a really big trip ahead of us, but I think we have a big task against uh, Anaheim. They're a way better team than last year, I think, and uh, I think uh, it's going to be a good test for us. And uh, we owe our, our fans a, a good game after the three losses in a row that we had uh, back home. So we owe them a, a big game, and uh, hopefully they're, they're going to be behind us. Wait, what? Hopefully they're going to be behind us. Okay, I, I'll admit, I'm probably reading too much into that, right? Remember last year when we first talked about this when Montreal was beating up the Golden Knights in the playoffs? It was a Jonathan Marcheseau quote that we went back to where Jonathan Marcheseau talked about how it's different in Vegas because the fans support you no matter what, because the fans are always behind you. And so if it's Jonathan Marcheseau saying, hopefully the fans are behind us, then maybe they've noticed a little bit. You know, yeah. maybe the Golden Knights, they might not be angry at the fans for not showing up, but they probably feel like, all right, well, you know what? We do need to give you a little something better to watch than we have. 
We're going to talk NFL with Stanford Route, our uh, Raiders insider, NFL insider on Fridays. Also get into uh, more on the game with the Cardinals and the Packers. Uh, but first, let's do a giveaway. 364-1100, caller 7364-1100. When you call in and you're the right caller, you're going to win a tailgate tray from Porta Subs. It's a six-foot sub all chopped up. You can get your own tailgate tray from 20-plus Porta Sub locations around Las Vegas. You also qualify with this win to potentially win a new Yeti cooler. The giveaway is all brought to you by Porta Subs and Finley Volvo Cars Las Vegas. 364-1100 is the number. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here on Cofield & Company, let's get into the Raiders in a bye week, and we'll look around the NFL. Stanford Route, NFL insider, former Oakland Raider, is here with us. I'll jump right into it, Stanford. Uh, trade deadline's coming up, and I know a lot of the news is around, you know, what's going to happen with Tua and Deshaun Watson should the Raiders be buyers before the trade deadline? And if they are, what should they be looking to add to this roster? I think you probably can always go ahead and uh, look at the offensive line, maybe something in the secondary, adding another piece. I would not be on the I would not be on the line of actually giving up high draft picks or giving up prominent players on my roster just to go ahead and get guys who are going to fill holes in other spots on my uh, on, on my depth chart. So I believe that maybe they can go ahead and be buyers, but it definitely would not be buying high, or should I say spending high, high draft picks, high-level players, because I think right now, as far as what's available on the market right now, I don't think there's anything that's going to be a difference maker that's actually available on the trade market. So why go ahead and spend that capital? Why go ahead and trade that player to go ahead and get somebody who's not going to be a prominent, not going to be a definitive difference maker? I agree. Uh, let's get to some of the news around the Raiders and around the NFL this week, and there's been more and more push for the football team, Washington investigation emails to be released. Or do you agree? Do, do the Raiders and fans, and especially women around the NFL, do they deserve to see these emails? Does the NFL need to release the emails? <laughs> Man, I come out. I'm not sure where I come out on that exactly. And I say this because, yes, number one, they do need to go ahead and release the emails if there is nothing in those emails, like they say. And, you know, they could easily go ahead and just completely dead this storm by all means and show, hey, here's the emails. There's nothing to see here. Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. But the simple fact that they are so defiant, the simple fact that they are so reluctant to go ahead and release those email, emails lets you know that there's that there's more in there. It lets you know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. As you can see, Congress has gotten involved We're trying to go ahead and subpoena the NFL to go ahead and release those emails because they want to see what's in there. But also at the same time, you could go ahead and use the same argument that in today's world, and I will go ahead and put both of you guys and uh, and, and, and <laughs> pose this question to you. Yeah. Do you want to sit up here and be in and have a job and potentially lose your job over something you said a decade ago before you even working for your current employer. That's something I could go ahead and pose as to why maybe the NFL does not feel like they need to go ahead and release it. But I think nonetheless, um, we all know based on 
past incidents with the Colin Kaepernick kneeling situation with the Ray Rice situation of how they originally only were going to go ahead and suspend him for two games, things like that. You can go ahead and you and then Barry Richardson, the former owner of the Carolina Panthers before he he was forced to sell to Tepper and all that. And the reason why he had to sell. And then we can see the stuff with Daniel Snyder for the Washington football team. We know that owners do not exactly exude the high levels of inclusivity. They do not exactly (laughs) exude high levels of treating everybody with the utmost respect if if they don't look like them and if they're not a male like them. We all know that. So at the same time, I think for a lot of fans, it's like, come on, man. Do you need to actually see something in print to know it's true? You can go ahead and extrapolate. You can go ahead and use context clues. You can go ahead and use all of the past situations, all the past transgressions that you have heard throughout certain NFL teams, throughout certain NFL owners, uh, what have you, and use that in come to your own conclusion as to what type of organization, what type of league it is that you like to watch every Sunday. Yeah, I guess I would respond to, hey, do you want your emails open? Uh, the difference is I'm not in a position of hiring. And that's my, my biggest thing here is, do we have guys who are saying this stuff on email and then actually practicing what they preach, which actually brings us to the latest issue with the McNair family, you're down there in Houston, so you've been around the oh, Texans. Yes. And now a story oh, comes yes. out this week about freaking Cal McNair talking about the China virus. Like, I don't know, does that mean he's anti-Asian in general? It's just, like, what, do people in, what do people in Houston, Stanford, think about ownership and the direction of the franchise and trying to root for this franchise, which seems a little screwy? Well, I think as far as uh, the fan base in the city of Houston, I think that it really just comes down to, is the team winning? Whenever the team was winning, winning those divisions, titles in 2011 2012 when Gary Kubiak was the head coach matter of fact one of those years I was actually in a Houston Texans uniform and even certain years where Deshaun Watson they're winning the division or they're just simply going to the playoffs as a wild card team for the most part of the fan base as long as the team is winning as long as I have a reason to go to NRG Stadium every Sunday afternoon and that stadium's going to be rocking and everybody's going to be having a good time the drinks are going to be flowing the team is going to be playing well JJ Watts out there sacking the quarterback Deshaun Watson's out there throwing touchdowns DeAndre Hopkins out there catching touchdowns as you can see two of those three are no longer even on the uh, roster and one probably will not be on the roster going forward so as long as that was the case a lot lot of people would turn a blind eye to it because I will tell you, Steve, I'll tell you like this, Steve. Remember, this is still Texas. Always remember that. Hey, you yes. part of the Civil War. Texas was a Confederate state. Let's always remember that. Texas is a red state. So at the end of the day, we can still always go ahead and know that Texas is more conservative. The South is more conservative. I will go ahead and talk about Cal McNair just like this. He is the son of former owner Bob McNair. God rest his soul. We all remember the statement that Bob McNair made a couple years back about the inmates will not run the prison. Now, I've always heard of the scenario. I've always heard of the phrase, the inmates won't run the asylum. But to go ahead and use that connotation of the inmates won't run the prison, that has such a negative connotation, especially to minorities. And oh, yeah, minorities make up most of the NFL, especially of your team. So when you go ahead and you look at how Bob McNair was, it 
is no surprise that Cal McNair is cut from the same cloth because that's his son. And I will go ahead and finish with this. I'm from the South. You know that. I'm from Texas. I'm from Austin. I live in Houston. You know this, Steve. And what I've learned in my experiences, my experiences, I'm not saying this is exactly how it is. I'm saying my experiences. I will go ahead and repeat that one more time. I will say my experiences. People that come from an older generation, older than myself, I'm 38 years old, born in 1983. People that come from an older generation than myself and who are also wealthy, that have a Southern background. In my experiences, I have learned for them to at best be prejudiced and at worst be racist more than likely, more than their more than a decent share of the time. That's one thing that I have learned. So to your point, nobody in Houston is really surprised at this. It's more kind of like business as usual. But as long as the team is winning, which we clearly see they are not right now. But as long as the team is winning, most fans for this Houston Texans fan base really are going to turn a blind eye to that. That's Stanford Rout, the former Oakland Raider here with us. All right, let's talk about the Raiders for a second. Uh, five and two. And I know you do a great podcast on the uh, Believe Podcast Network, and you guys discussed how uh, Rich Basaccia has been a stabilizing force. Explain that. Yeah, I think that he just simply is coming in and he's shown that he's going to actually go and stabilize this franchise. We see that it was in disarray. You got everything that John Gruden is saying in the emails to Bruce Allen of the Washington football team and things like that. So that was a perfect setup. That was a perfect setting. The Denver Broncos game, even the Philadelphia Eagles game. That's a perfect setup for the team to go ahead and just tank it because they are in disarray. They just lost their head coach. Everything just seemed like it was pulled right out from under them uh, right at the drop of a dime. That is a perfect situation for the offense to go ahead and tank because they no longer have the play caller in John Gruden. The defense, who we already know, they're more complimentary of the offense. They're not a juggernaut. The offense has all the star players, the pro bowlers, things like that. So that was a perfect setup for them to go ahead and tank it against the Denver Broncos especially and then against the Philadelphia Eagles and the fact that they did not shows a level of leadership and it shows that he sat everybody down and said listen guys this is what it is it's not a great situation it's not perfect it's not ideal but you know what the ball still has to be kicked off on Sunday afternoon which means somebody's got to kick off the ball Somebody's got to catch the ball. Somebody's got to tackle the ball carrier. Somebody's got to catch the ball when the quarterback throws it. Somebody's got to sack the quarterback. Somebody's got to cover the receivers and so on, so on, and so on. And so let's go ahead and block out all of the noise. Let's grow numb to the madness and simply focus on what we can focus on, which is tackle the ball carrier, catch the ball, block, things like that. So because he simplified it, and you already know the Raiders are relatively a young team. Because he simplified it, I think that just goes to uh, it. Just goes to show his maturity level. It goes to show how direct and definitive he is, and show how laser focused he is in not allowing all of that outside noise, all of the outside factors, to go ahead and seep into that organization. Because we already know it's more of a younger team. You don't really see a whole lot of older veterans on the Las Vegas Raiders. Not to say that they don't have any, but you don't really see a bevy of that and I think for him to be able to go ahead and write the ship so far five and two going into the bye week and then let's go ahead and see what they can do these final 10 games of the season I think that right there shows a certain level of leadership I think it shows a certain a certain level of definitive thinking and just laser focus and so far you're seeing the team follow in his footsteps Stanford Rouse with us, former defensive back in the NFL. Before we get to a couple of NFL spots coming up this Sunday, we got to talk about last night, the end of the Cardinals and the Packers. I just want you to speak to 
what an amazing scenario that unfolded there with A.J. Green not turning around and a hell of an interception by a former Raider, at least up until the beginning of the season. He got cut, but Rasul Douglas, what a play. Oh, that was a fantastic play. And I think that just the the overall awareness for Rasul Douglas on that play to go ahead and see, okay, my receiver's blocking me, but I'm still taking a peek back at the quarterback. Oh, my God, here comes the ball. The ball's in the air. Let me go ahead and tip it to myself because Adrian Green is blocking me, so I got to go ahead and maneuver around him, tip it to myself, and still having the wherewithal, having the athleticism to go ahead and Tony toe-tap before he reaches up, before he <laughs> leaves the, uh, the corner of the end zone. I thought that was fantastic, and it just goes to show that I'm watching the game and I'm seeing I'm seeing Arizona march all the way down the field with Kyler Murray and I'm thinking man Arizona's about to go ahead and pull this game out and it just goes to show it is never over until it's over I thought that was a fantastic play it kind of brings me back to 2011 when we played the Detroit Lions I'm going against Calvin Johnson I'm locked up on him all game long and there was a play where it was a pass play he came out to block me because I guess he was thinking it was a run he wound up getting called up for uh, offensive pass interference so so seeing that play last night took me back to that one moment and all that was was AJ Green we all know AJ Green's been a stud in this league for so many years going to Pro Bowls I can't even count how many and he just simply either had a brain fart maybe it was a miscommunication maybe Kyler Murray audible at the line of scrimmage and he didn't hear the audible he didn't see the audible but clearly it was a miscommunication uh, to some degree but nonetheless for Rasul Douglas to be able to go ahead and have the wherewithal the awareness to notice what's happening in real time Time and to be able to go ahead and adjust and still be able to Tony toe tap right there in the corner of the end zone and seal the victory, man. I think there, I don't think there was anybody that was happier, more prouder than Aaron Rodgers on that sideline. And like I said, for them to go ahead and be now seven and one to knock off the Arizona Cardinals of being the lone undefeated team in the NFL. I think it just goes to show that those green Bay Packers, anybody who counted them out or anybody who thought that they were just going to simply fade into the abyss was clearly wrong. You know, around the NFL, one of the big stories of the week was Mike Tomlin scolding the media for asking him about college jobs. I loved that, by the way. I I responded on the air. I'm like, uh, well, Mike, here's the thing, man. Loyalty is... Uh, is not always a two-way street, so you're not guaranteed a job for life with the Steelers. But I'm I'm also starting to think that Mike Tomlin loves the Steelers' job so much and loves their future even without Big Ben because they believe they're going to get that next franchise quarterback. I'm starting to think more and more that Aaron Rodgers is going to be with Mike Tomlin. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, that definitely the possibility. We see what Aaron Rodgers said just a couple weeks ago when they played uh, the, yep. uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But nonetheless, I think there's a difference. There's a dichotomy in college coaches versus NFL coaches. We all know that. And I think for Mike Tomlin, he knows that the NFL is where I belong, not college, where I got to deal with boosters, where I got to go ahead and deal with kids making sure that they're academically eligible. I got to deal with this new NIL type of situation where now players can go ahead and sign endorsement deals, things like that. Uh, the, the heck with all that. <laughs> I just want to go ahead and coach guys that I know get paid every Tuesday. They get paid millions of dollars, but I know that they're all fantastic players. That's why they're in the NFL. That's why they got drafted out of college. So I think for Mike Tomlin, he knows that the NFL, that's where he belongs. Not in college football where he's got to do more babysitting, where he's got to be more of kind of like of a disciplinarian, kind of like a camp counselor to a certain degree. He knows that he belongs in the NFL. And I think for him, for him to sit up there and say, well, you guys aren't speculating about Sean Payton. Y'all aren't speculating about uh, Andy Reid. Y'all ain't speculating too much about uh, uh, my man out in Jacksonville, Urban Meyer. So why does it seem like 
I'm just getting thrown in this mix. And I'm the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it's only been four total head coaches or three, uh, maybe if I'm not mistaken, in history for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're not known to have a huge turnover when it comes to the head coaching position. So Mike Tomlin knows as long as he does not string together, I'd say about four unsuccessful aka losing seasons in a row the Rooney family is going to rock with him they've been rocking with him ever since they went ahead and hired him back in what 2007 I believe he was like 33 years old uh, at the time and you look at the Steelers having so much success obviously they have only won one Super Bowl under Mike Tomlin they've been to two but you can see you can clearly see that he's the right guy for the job because he's a leader of men and I specifically love the one quote where he said there is not a booster and mind you you USC is in Los Angeles, which is in California. And, you know, California's got a lot of money, a lot of wealth. He said there's not a booster for USC that can write a blank check big enough for me to go ahead and come out there to the West Coast. That right there to me was so ballsy. That was so gangster for him to say, because trust me, LA's got a lot of money. We all know that. California's got a lot of money. Richest state in the, uh, in the country is, is is last I checked. But like I said, so for him to say that, that was such a gangster, ballsy, alpha male type of move. We're like, hey man, y'all ain't even got enough money for me to come out there. So like, get my name out your mouth. So I loved, uh, I, I loved everything that he said about that. Last one, Stanford. I got about a minute left. Uh, one of the games of the week is the Patriots at the Chargers. Betters are pushing the Patriots down a little bit, so now it's Chargers four and a half. No Eckler today practicing. Can the Patriots beat the Chargers? I believe the Patriots can beat the Chargers, and I say that simply because we know that the Los Angeles Chargers, they smoked the Raiders on Monday Night Football. The Los Angeles Chargers have Justin Herbert. He's one of the best best young things smoking in this league. Uh, he's going to be great for years to come. You got Keenan Allen. You got Mike Williams. You got all those other weapons. Austin Eckler obviously probably won't be playing. Like you just said, he's out today. So I think that with that being said, yes, the Chargers got a lot of firepower, no doubt about it. You got Derwin James on the other side of the ball. You got Chris Harris. He'll be back eventually. You got Asante Samuel Jr. out there playing good ball. And But the thing is, is that when you got these young quarterbacks, they will have some dud of games. They will have up and down types of performances, like you just saw a couple weeks ago getting blasted by the Baltimore Ravens out there in Maryland. That was a stinker of a game for the entire team, for Justin Herbert especially. So I would not be surprised if the Patriots go ahead and beat the Chargers. And I say that because look at the way the Patriots looked against the Dallas Cowboys. That right there to me was so emblematic of what the Patriots can be if all if everything is, is hitting off the it's hitting off of all cylinders. So if they were to go ahead and beat the Chargers, I would not be completely surprised. Stanford, awesome spot, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, you guys be good. See you next week. There he is, the former Oakland Raider, Stanford Rout. We close out the show today on a Friday as we'll give out best bets from Candy and myself. College football in the NFL on the way. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. It's Cofield and Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. All right, let's hit the board, Candy. See what you bet. See what you're thinking about betting. Uh, first of all, we will be giving picks, I think, unless you unless you reject me as well. We will be giving picks on the 
Reno UNLV game. Uh, we had when Mike Edwards on earlier, the uh, the color voice of the pack he played here, and he was like, eh, I don't want to jinx. I don't want to jinx my guy, so I'm not going to give a pick. But he thought it was going to be a close game. Uh, current number, have you seen a move from uh, – ooh, actually it's down to 19 from 20 and a half. Uh, total is 58. So where are you going on that one? Ooh, 58 is interesting because this is about game scripts. Do you think that the Packer can control the game? If you do think the Packer can control the game, I think it's over. Um, if you think UNLV can hang, I think it's under um, because they're going to slow the game down. They're going to play for the for the rushing attack. Um, for me, it's actually a game that I would much prefer to play in-game. If you forced me to put something down right now, I would probably play over, um, but... I would like to see how the first 15 minutes of this game develops before I make a decision because I actually think you might be able to get a little bit ahead of the algorithm if you've watched these two teams play it all over time. I will not make a pick. Until I'm on the field and I see who's healthy. It's a big deal. It's a big deal tonight. Who do you need to see? Uh... I want to see who's on the offensive line. If Clayton Bradley is back, he's starting left tackle. He had to leave the game last week, and they had to go with Davion McDaniel at left tackle, and Tiger Shanks back in there at right tackle. But it also means their depth on the offensive line gets super thin. Um, the All three Williams, I'm not sure if there's a fourth on the roster. I guess I could look right now. Um, I want to see Charles warming up because Charles was limping around a little bit on Monday. That's gigantic. I mean, Charles Williams – in the game in 2019, Candy, when they played here, you remember the Rebels jumped out to a 24-13 lead at the half. Williams shocked the entire crowd and quieted them. He had an 80-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. If Charles is, you know, if he looks fine, he's 85-90%, that's a big deal. Um, best receiver on the team, Kyle Williams has been battling a hamstring most of the year. Well, he went out in the fourth quarter after having a really good game against San Jose State. Is he going to be a go? That, that could be very questionable. Noel Williams was nursing a hip pretty much from the first quarter on. He didn't play the rest of the game. Well, he's our top cover guy. So, I mean, I'm talking about some massive players for the Rebels, your left tackle, your best receiver, your best cornerback, the star of your team. I got to see what the condition is of those guys because we know Carson Strong and Romeo Dubs and, you know, Jay Norvell, they are going to take deep shots. And Cam Oliver's a true freshman. Aaron Lewis is a bit undersized. You watched the game last year. With Dubs, that was crazy. He had a 65-yard touchdown, and he wound up, I think it was for the game, he was seven catches for 165 yards. So there's so many X factors from an injury standpoint going into this game. That's why I think it's a very, very difficult game to handicap. I think it's very easy to look at a rivalry game and say, well, it should be closer, and you see the line move is suggesting that. But because of how quick strike Nevada is, because of the fact that it's not just – uh, dubs and strong. I mean, you know, Total has been really good for them as well. So, you know, th- this team could easily run this game up if they get the opportunity. Yes. Well, uh, the atmosphere is going to be crazy too, but maybe that could be a good thing for the Rebels. You know, um, bonding together with you know with the kind of the the world against us mentality. That I'm sure they're already feeling extremely frustrated, and I think spirits are still pretty good. I haven't seen a whole lot of fracturing, if any at all. You know, on the sidelines when they're losing these close games. You're 0-7. This is something that uh, doesn't necessarily save the season, but it'll get you going on a you know on a good track, and you're taking out your arch rival. Um, these are fascinating spots for UNLV every single year, and it really it, it did make their season in many ways in 2018 
and 2019. So, NFL board, do you have anything you love that you've already fired on? You mentioned the whole scenario with the uh, Vikes and the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, I have teasers on both sides of that at uh, plus eight and a half on both teams. So, like I said, keep it one score. Um, I got to tell you, Kofi, last night, last night was a disaster for me because oh, I was no. staring at a two and one night with uh, AJ Green making that reception in the end zone, which turned to an zero and three night based right on that. Um, because I had cards teasers, I also had uh, over, which my God. What it took for that game not to go over when you look at the uh, Packers not getting in four times from the one and then uh, the A.J. Green play at the end. So looking at the board here uh, right now, I, I can tell you that what, what I see is me being very mad at myself come the end of Sunday that I decided to get involved in San Francisco and Chicago. Um, I... I like over 39 and a half. Um, I, I, I lean Chicago, although I have not played it. Um, and the other one for me is uh, over 44 and a half in Washington and Denver, which I thought better at over 43 and a half. But look at what happened to the WFT last week and the fact that they had, what, five drives stall out inside the Green Bay 30-yard line. Uh, and and this Denver defense is overrated. We've seen it all year long. I think that's a decent overplay. Some other angles on some other games. The Rams and the Texans. These aren't the biggest stories, but I think it is on the Texan side. The battle between the disgruntled receivers. So Mark Ingram is traded by the Texans back to the Saints. Brandon Cooks goes to social media and goes, this is total bull. You know what? Then we find out today the Rams are flying high Part of the mix, I think, significantly, I, I think, based on where he is in his career, has been Deshaun Jackson. And then we hear today, Deshaun Jackson is now demanding a trade. Like, what? What are you doing, dude? Rams are 16 in that game against the Texans. Wow, I, I simply cannot believe that Deshaun Jackson is doing something volatile and <laughs> know, uh, right? is not going to be part of this team going forward. Stunned. I never play massive dogs in the National Football League. Should I play the Bills against the Dolphins based on the way they played the first time around and that Tua is like, what is going on here? Do you want me or not? I liked it a lot better at 13 and a half than I do at 14, but if you got a conviction on the Bills, then go ahead and play the Bills because what we've seen with these massive favorites is you're this year far more likely to hit than not. Remember, uh, remember Candy and Adam Hill, Westgate, 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, Sunday football preview show that's in the Superbook. Great football preview on Sunday mornings. That's why we call it that. All the uh, last second line changes and injuries and thanks to Frank Sanders and Mark McMillan and Mike Edwards and Stanford Route. Candy, good job. Thanks, Ari. Game's coming up at 7 o'clock. Pre-game, 6.30.